Welcome to The Long Leash, I'm James Jacobson, and today we are diving headfirst into the world of petpreneurs. What is that, you ask? What is a petpreneur? Well, think entrepreneur, but in the pet business. It is the catch-all term for someone who organizes and operates a pet business. And Kristen Morrison is the holy grail when it comes to knowledge on how to be successful in the industry. Kristen has written numerous books on just how to do that, including her latest book, How to Recover from Pet Business Burnout. And she also coaches others on how to be successful petpreneurs through her six-figure pet business academy. But none of this was a walk in the dog park. In fact, when Kristen started her pet sitting business in the 1990s, she was working up to 100 hours a week. She almost burned out as a result, which unfortunately is not an uncommon thing with any entrepreneurial effort. But Christian realized there had to be a better way to do the thing that she loved while making money and most importantly, enjoying a sustainable work-life balance. That light bulb moment was the catalyst for the success that she's had since. There have, of course, been ups and downs and lots of learning and relearning and recovering from burnout, but Kristen is about sharing her experiences to help others, and so she is sharing her journey with us here today. Here's a word of advice. If you are an existing or aspiring petpreneur, have a pen and notepad handy because you won't want to miss any of this. Kristen Morrison, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Now, normally when I record these interviews, we're talking to people all over the world in time zones that are very far and distant from here in, in Hawaii, but um, you are here in Hawaii, so we're actually in the same time zone, which is crazy, and I'm delighted to chat with you. Oh, me too. I know. It's wonderful having you in the same time zone. But you're not originally from Hawaii. You've only been here. The pandemic kind of caught you in Hawaii and you've decided to stay a little bit, right? Yeah. So we arrived, my husband and I arrived in September thinking we would only stay a month. We had to quarantine for two weeks and then we were going to have two weeks on the end of that. And the COVID cases just skyrocketed in the Bay Area where, where we live and we just decided to stay. And so here we are, we're still here months later and not quite sure when we're going to go back to Bay Area. It can be intoxicating. And <laughs> yes. we're going to talk today a little bit about you as a petpreneur, uh, which uh, I don't, well, well, we'll get into that, first of all, uh-huh. petpreneurship. But um, you have uh, designed a business from having been in uh, on the services side to now counseling and working with uh, people who are in the pet business who are, I guess, spread around the country and perhaps around the world? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I started coaching in the year 2000. Uh, coached my first pet sitter who lived in New York. I lived in California. and But I started my own pet sitting and dog walking business in 1995. So when I started coaching, I had been in business for five years at that point. So had you been a, you, you'd not been an entrepreneur before. This was basically your first foray in, into business as, yeah. as a pet setter. So I had never been 
been interested in business. I had always loved animals, thought that I would like to do something with animals. But when I thought about business, I thought dry, boring, gray was really the color that came to mind when I thought about being a business owner. It just seemed very um, not fun. And when in 1994, I began working for a pet sitter and dog walker, and I worked for her for three months. And then in early 1995, I started my own business. I realized, oh, wow, this is incredible to be able to walk dogs, hang out with cats and dogs and all kinds of animals, really, and then to be able to get paid to exercise. It was, <laughs> it was mind-blowing. You know, I couldn't believe it. And Pet sitting at that point was not something that a lot of people even thought about. Um, a lot of what I did in the beginning was educating people on the benefits of having a professional pet sitter. A lot of them had neighborhood kids, you know, who may or may not show up. And so it, you know, required some education, which is not the case today. People know what a pet sitter is, know what a dog walker is, know how valuable they are for them and their pets. But part of that education was your ability to market and to get the word out and to mm -hmm. teach people what it was and to compete effectively with the with kennels and uh -huh. and and other services that, you know, like I don't know if there were pet hotels back then or not, but uh -huh. to compete with those and and to uh, you know, let people know what it is and let them know that you were doing it and available. Mm -hmm, exactly. How did you go about learning the skills which involve, you know, some degree of media savvy mm -hmm. and writing and communications and social media and all that? Did you just, is this truly baptism under fire? It was, yes. Um, so I learned a lot about business through a very old uh, way of doing things, which is going to the library and getting books out of the library. What is that, what is that word? Library? <laughs> I, know. I know library in 1995. So I didn't, I didn't know how to run a business. So that was how I learned. I checked out books from the library and I would work in my business during the day and usually up until seven or 8 PM. Cause I took care of a lot of pets in the evening and then I would get my business books out and pour over them you know, at night. And that became my education. I didn't have time, energy, or desire to go to business school. Like that would have been the other alternative. So instead I, I read books and have journals filled with my notes that I learned. Um, I had no idea how to market. Marketing has always been something that I I never want to be heavy handed with it. I'm really turned off by pushy people when it comes to marketing. So my form of marketing has always been do a great job. You know, don't be afraid to say that I'm doing a great job if I feel like I am. Um, but the hard sell is always such a turn off to me. So I think I've learned my own way to market in a way that people don't feel sold to, but maybe feel like they have a connection with me. You know, I share my stories and I share what's worked for me, what hasn't. And so from there, 
you know, my marketing is kind of arisen. <laughs> when you go back to those library days when you had a library yeah. card and you would go uh -huh. out and check out these books, who were some of the authors that influenced you in terms of helping to coalesce this idea about this is my marketing approach? Yeah, well, one of the books was How to Win Friends and Influence People. Okay. Because that's a very powerful book, very old school, mm -hmm. but incredibly, incredibly powerful. Yeah, and The E-Myth um, mm -hmm. is very, a very good book about delegating and really creating an empire that runs with the help of a team rather than, you know, you being in the trenches and that was really attractive to me so those were two books that jump out at me i also read patty moran's book she wrote pet sitting for profits that was the only book at the time that was available for pet sitters and dog walkers and so i i read that and yeah i you know one thing that happened to me i was very fortunate in that a year into my business the local newspaper in my county, which was a very large newspaper actually, wrote an article about me and put it on the front page of the business section on a Sunday. And now that wouldn't be a big deal, but then it was a really big deal. And so many people saw that article and there were, I think, five pictures of me with the dogs, you know, walking the dogs, hanging out with the dogs. And within 24 hours of that article getting released, I got 40 new client calls. So good old that, fashioned PR. And you, and you said that you were lucky. And I think you probably were lucky in terms of the fact that they decided to put it on the front, you know, on the front page of that section. And then they included five photos. But my guess, my guess, Kristen, is that you had something to do with like pursuing their, their interest, uh, getting them to write a story. No, you know, it's interesting. Cause I, I, had maybe four or five clients so i don't even know how they how they found out about me but i'm okay. incredibly grateful that they did <laughs> okay good because i mean yeah. i think one of the things that you know we 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 love publicity and 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 publicity has changed a lot obviously from from back then to today yeah. when there's so many types of quote-unquote media social media and print media and broadcast media and youtube and podcasts um, and there, there's, we live in a media universe, but being able to get, uh, a story that could have such an impact on your business at that point in your community, I thought would be a lot, a little bit of luck, but also a little bit of like being able to, to, to give the journalist, the reporter who covered it, uh, enough, uh, fodder. So they said, Hey, this yeah. is a lot of column inches. <clears throat> I think they really, you know, it's, it's a really great feel-good story in terms of, you know, young, I, at that point I was in my mid-20s, you know, young woman starts a business that she loves, she follows her passion. So I think in that way, it was something that they thought, this is great. And people ate it up. What was interesting about that and really was kind of a wake-up call for me is that when that happened, I got a number of clients but then, you know, I had to learn how to create that success on purpose after that. And I didn't know how to do that. In other words, you, you had the unfortunate situation that many entrepreneurs would love to be in. It's like, uh -huh. I got all these sales, I got all these clients, yeah. and now I need to, 
to build the business and to provide exceptional service to them. Yes, and hire people. But not only that, some clients only stay for a year or two, right? Mm -hmm. They move away, maybe their pets die, something happens. So eventually I had to learn how to create success on purpose rather than have it happen to me in the form of an article being written about me. And so that was quite a journey. You know, I had to get out my business books again. Like, how do I actually get clients? What do I do? How do I make that happen? And make it repeatable so that it's consistent. And then build the infrastructure around it. Because at one point you had 40 employees. Is that right? I had 35. when When I sold my business in 2013, I had 35 dog walkers and pet sitters and four managers. And through the course of running my business in, eight, in the 18 years that I that I had it, I had over 250 people over the course of that time. So I really learned through trial and error how to hire. And I feel like I really was able to hire amazing people. When I sold my business, every single person that I had working for me I just felt 100% great about. And who did you sell your business to? I sold it to a woman who her dream had always been to run a pet sitting and dog walking business. And she had been exploring different businesses. You know, she wasn't sure what kind of business she was thinking dog related. Like I said, you know, she thought about dog walking, pet sitting, but she was also looking at doggy daycares and, And we connected and she really fell in love with my business model. I had a very, in some ways, hands-off approach. I had really run my business in a way that had my staff members self-managing so that I could step away from my business. Um, The last few years of my business, I only worked two or three days a week in my business and even lived in Bali and India for months at a time while my business ran. And so that was really attractive to her. She really liked the idea of not having to be working 24 seven in a pet business. So the fact that, you know, all of my staff members were used to that was really attractive to her. Well, I think that's what's so interesting is I started to do a deep dive into you, Kristen. I looked at, we'll get into books in a minute because I think it seems like such an important part of who you are, both obviously in terms of learning and and also in terms of, of the, the, the books you've written and then the, definitely we're going to talk about the, the your most recent book. But this conscious decision to move from being, um, you know, a pet sitter with all these employees to defining success as... Uh, what do you say? Success is time plus money, having money and having time mm-hmm. and to being able to create something like, I don't know, the, the four hour work week, you were doing the seven hour work mm-hmm. week. Or is that, what is it? Um, but specifically within a niche that most of our listeners just like would think is pretty, pretty freaking amazing. I'm spending my life focusing on pets and people who love them. Mm-hmm. And I only have to work seven hours a week. Talk to us about that evolution, how you decided to do that. 
what I realized is a lot of people were viewing me as a successful business owner, which I just loved <laughs> that, you know, that they were kind of putting that on me. And, and I did feel successful in some ways in terms of having lots of staff members, in terms of, you know, the money rolling in. But a way that I wasn't successful was time. And I felt really glued to my business before I made big changes. And I did not have a personal life. I didn't have a relationship. And that was a real heart's desire for me was to at some point be married, you know, to a man that I loved and who loves me. And, and that actually couldn't have been a reality in the life that I was living prior to me making changes. I was working probably like 80 to 100 hours a week. I mean, I was working seven days a week to run my business. And even though I had managers, even though I had dog walkers and pet sitters, I was still the one who was holding everything together. And, you know, one day I woke up and I was really thinking about success. And I thought, it it's one thing for me to define success from how other people view it, but how do I define success? I had to get really personal about that. You know, for a lot of us, I think we look at society and, you know, how do our neighbors define happiness? Or, you know, everybody's trying to figure out what's happiness from Instagram or, you know, their neighbors. And so for me, I had to do a real deep dive into myself and what defines happiness for me. And what I realized is, you know, I could have all the money in the world, but if I didn't have time, that was not a happy, successful life to me. So then I began to look at how can I create that? Is it even possible to have a pet business and have both time and money? And then I looked at other business owners I saw and I knew of no one who had both. They either had time and not a lot of money because they didn't have a lot of clients or they had a lot of clients and not a lot of time. And I wanted within to... Within the pet industry or just yeah, within both, people you knew? Yeah, both. Everyone. Like I looked at all the business owners I knew. I looked at the pet business owners and I looked at just business owners in general that mm -hmm. were my friends. And I didn't see anybody who embodied having both. And that concerned me. I thought, does that mean I can't have a business? <laughs> you know, if that's my desire and I don't have a role model for that, is it even possible? And I thought, well, let me try to see if I can create that for myself. And how did you go about trying to create that? I mean, without, without a model? Well, I thought if I were to create this, what would I have to do? And one of the things that I knew, knew I needed to do was actually to get my staff in line with that concept of them self-managing rather than me. You know, I think a lot of pet business owners are often the emergency backup if one of their staff members can't show up or something happens. And so getting out of that mindset, like how do I handle things if I'm out of the country, let's say, um, what then? What if I'm not available? And so really working with my staff to sit, to show them, you know, how would you deal with this? So when they would contact me about how to deal with something with a client, with a pet, I would say, if I wasn't reachable, how would you deal with this? 
So it's really teaching them to be self-reliant. And not everybody is capable of that, right? There are going to be people who just need the handholding. But those weren't my people. That comes down to, to hiring well. It does. Which is something you, you teach and you talk about a lot. Yeah, and you can't always recognize that quality right away. The ability to self-manage. The ability to um, have hire somebody who has common sense, right? Sometimes that comes with time and really seeing how they are on the job. Do you have any tips on hiring for, yes, for people who I are? Yes, I do. Hiring? Okay, let's do I that. do. Okay, so one of the things that that I realized I had a really cumbersome hiring process, which you know worked to a certain degree, but was really time consuming. And so my process prior to changes that I made was putting an ad somewhere, <laughs> and then doing a lot of phone interviews with people that responded to the ad or, you know, email interviews and then setting up a phone interview and then meeting them in person and then training them. It was like this multi-tiered process, which was just exhausting for them and for me. So what I began to do is I created something called an application packet, which is eight pages and it became my assistant, my hiring assistant. So the first page is a cover letter. It says what I need them to do and by when. So to fill out the packet, to send it back to me within the next five days, where to send it back. Um, and then three pages have the job descriptions for the different jobs. So in my company, we had pet sitters, dog walkers, and overnight pet sitters. Um, and then also schedule. So they had to circle, you know, or fill out the days that they were actually available because it would be one thing to hire a great person, but if they're not available, they're not a good fit, right? So just simple things that really show if this is a good person. One of the questions that I put on there is list three words that best describe why you would make a great pet sitter dog walker with my company. And if they wrote three sentences, if they wrote even one sentence that was longer than three words, you know, that's a red flag because a lot of clients write detailed notes. And if they're not paying attention, they're not going to be a good fit. And another question that I had is, um, how much do you need to make per week doing part-time work with us? And so if they wrote $1,000 or $1,500 a week, it didn't necessarily mean they weren't the right fit, but it did mean that I needed to have a conversation with them about what was realistic to then see, you know, is this going to work for you? Because if they have these high expectations about how much they're going to make and they're not fulfilled, they're not going to stay for very long. So that, that would impact you because then you'd have to be repeating the whole process exactly. over again. And you spend your entire time. Yeah. And training. Yeah. So the application packet was really just a simple method to really cut through those people that aren't committed. You know, if they're willing to fill it out and send it back to me and follow directions, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the right fit, but it means they're more likely to be the right fit. And often they were, and it allowed me to hire people quickly, easily, mostly effortlessly. And um, also I found when I started using the application packet, they stayed longer. 
so there was more consistency for me and the clients, which saved a lot of energy and time. So let's go back. You said you woke up one day and you said, I need to make some radical changes in my business and the way I live my life. You, I'm going to assume you went back to the library. <laughs> yes, I did. Did you do coaching? <laughs> did you do large awareness training seminars? Did you do personal development? What did you, what did, what tools did you rely on to make those changes? You know, I have done a lot of personal work in my life and I think that has led to me being really um, tuned in to what I need and want and being able to make those changes. So I'm really grateful for that personal work and it's, it's a part of who I am today. And I'm, yeah, I just, I absolutely love working on myself and becoming a better person um, for this particular... So you fit in great here in Hawaii. <laughs> yes, I do. I love it. I love it. And I also live in Marin County, which is also very, you know, another place that people do personal growth work. Um, so for me, I, I was a part of a business um, support group that still meets and I meet with them on Zoom. Um, I've been a part of that group for about 18 years. And a that was like a uh, mastermind or it's um, a group of about 50 business owners. And we were meeting in person in Marin County. And like I said, now it's on Zoom and um, it's kind of spiritually based, but also, you know, logistically really. And I'm the only one who has any kind of pet business in this group. So, you know, there are therapists so like there. Other businesses are, yeah. yeah. web web people. I mean, just all kinds of different business owners. And, um, it, you know, that was really impactful for me in that I got to know other business owners and get support from them, even though they were very different from me in terms of the kind of businesses they were running. A lot of the information they had for me was impactful and relevant. And so, and not only that, but being a part of a community of business owners was something that I had longed for without even knowing that I longed for it. Um, I kind of, when I think about that experience of finding that group, it was like I was a, a flower bulb. You know how they have these bulbs that you get of flowers and they look really kind of ugly in a way. And, right. and then you put them in the ground, you know, maybe they've been in a bag for, you know, years, <laughs> but then you put them in the ground and give them water and nourishment and sunlight. And then they just turn into this beautiful flower. I feel like I was that bulb kind of waiting for this group. And so the group was really quite impactful for me and positive. Um, and something that I've always done, which I think led me to really looking at what I wanted instead of, you know, what defines success in society, which is often money, just money, mm -hmm. um, is journal writing. So I have written morning pages, which is three pages of writing every morning for about 25 years. And uh, it's a daily practice for me. And from that, I really have gained and gleaned a lot of ideas and you know, my to-do list often arises from that. That journal writing is an integral part of uh, the process that you recommend in your new book, How to Recover from Pet Business Burnout. 
But before we get into that, I kind of want to explore this spiritual dynamic because mm-hmm. as someone who was reading this and I've seen a lot of business books and they're either what is what I really appreciate about this book is that you were so grounded in your weaving in these spiritual components. And I'm imagining that was very consciously done. Absolutely. And it wasn't without vulnerability, let me tell Mm -hmm. you, because most people, when they're picking up a business book, even one on burnout, are expecting, how do I delegate? How do I, you know, and that's in there. Use this email service, yeah, use exactly. this. <laughs> yeah. And those, actually, those things are, are in there. But, you know, more importantly for me in my journey from burnout, because I went through burnout on a very serious, big level, um, was the inner work that I had to do. Because in Again, looking at our society, something that's really revered is working hard, being so busy all the time. It's expected. And that to me is not a life. You know, working all the time is not what I want my reality to be. I, and I love my work, let me tell you. Like, I can get lost in it for hours upon hours. But you know, work is a, is a part of me, only a part of me. Um, but when I was burned out, it was everything of me. <laughs> Describe that. When, when was that and, and, and paint that picture? Yeah. So that was actually before I made the decision to really make the big changes in my, in my business, in my pet business. Um, I was working seven days a week, 10, 12, sometimes 14 hours a day. Um, had no life. And even though I loved my work, you know, it was making me not a happy person. And so I, I realized, you know, well, you know, what, what I, what really impacted me was thinking about that quote. It's like, when you're on your deathbed, would you be thinking, I wish I'd worked more at the office? You know, that was, only I, <laughs> I know, if only I'd worked more, you know, that was really resonant for me. And that was kind of coming out at that time, you know, that thought. Right. So I want to talk to you more about the processes that you describe in the book. But before we dive into that, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. It's a strange thing to do, sprinkle this powder on my food, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My time with you is precious and irreplaceable, and I'm thrilled to be with you for as long as possible. Here's to puppy playtime and senior snoozes. (laughs) No matter how old I get, I want my ever pup. It just makes me feel good in this life. And the next, and the next, and the next. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pup you give me. 
So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. We are back with Kristen Morrison. So in your book, you sort of describe your process as starting off with a sort of mental framework, deeply intimate, it's, it's deeply direct, uh, that sort of thing. Let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I had to define the book, I would say it's a combination of left brain and right brain. So creative meets logic, you know? Mm-hmm. So the first part is really um, the creative, the deep inner work, because again, you can have the cherry on the Sunday. Um, but the, you know, if you don't have a hearty Sunday, the cherry is going to fall off, you know? So foundational. yeah, it's so important. The deep inner work I think is really important and it's really important to look at, you know, what does success mean for you? It might not be time and money. Everybody has their own definition. So for some, it's um, family, you know, having a family. And then they have this awakening of like, oh, my God, I've been so focused on my business, but my family has really suffered. And I feel disconnected from them, you know. Um, So really looking at that, looking at what has caused you to be, let's say, a workaholic, You know, how is that meeting needs for you? For some people, working a lot is a way to avoid feeling uncomfortable emotions, right? And so busyness. And so one of the chapters is take the busy out of your business. Get it out. (laughs) You know, being busy is not necessarily productive, and stop but we saying take it often as a badge of courage. Exactly. And stop saying, I'm so busy when people say, how are you doing? Right. <laughs> so many people say that guilty. Yeah, like, I don't meet. Well, and me too. That was, that uh, was something that I said a lot. So really doing the deep, deep dive into the internal work. And then from there being able to go into the real nuts and bolts of, okay, now that you've cleared some of this interior landscape, now you can set up your business in a way that's really going to support you to have more time and money through delegating, through hiring really good people, through setting up systems and strategies that are create automation, right? So that you're not having to do something over and over where can mm-hmm. you begin to automate the tasks that you're doing? The myth well beyond anything that could have ever been conceived when that <laughs> book was originally written. Yeah, well, we're all there, right? We have all this technology yeah. at our fingertips. You know, we have just so much information. So this book is aimed at this this group of people that I had earlier identified as petpreneurs and what does petpreneur mean to you? You know, it's funny. I've never really loved that word. 
I don't know. It me sounds neither. Ugh, me neither. I don't yeah. like it. I know it's kind of people bandy it around, but I just I think pet business owner is you know it's kind of cutesy. I think that's what bugs me about petpreneur. <laughs> it's like mm. mompreneur or you know why define you know mompreneur just your business owner you know but okay yeah i i like that now <laughs> I, I have to ask this question sure this is something that people we i've been seeing a lot of petpreneurs who focus on women petpreneurs uh-huh what's that about and yeah think? well i think because if you know i had to guess how many women are pet business owners it would be probably 85 percent you know, I'm just, that's a rough number, but I'm just right. thinking in terms of the amount of people that I coach, maybe 5, 10 to 15% are men. So most people who go into yep. the pet business are women. And exactly. So it's, just, it's, it's like saying, oh, well, I'm focusing on women, but basically uh -huh. that would be who my audience is anyway. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Not necessarily okay. that. I mean, you that's know. That's an interesting take. Yeah. I like that. And there are. There are men, and I'm sure there are men listening to this right now, and I really want to celebrate you and say, yay, woohoo, you're here. Um, I've worked with a number of men, and it's been such a joy. Uh, they have a hard time sometimes getting into the industry. Um, some of the men that I've worked with have said when, they're, when pet sitting clients who call them know that a man's going to be coming into their home to be with their pet. They usually want a woman. And so there's some gender bias that can happen for men. So the marketplace doesn't want guys coming to stay at your house and take care of your dog as much as it wants women. It, yeah, that's what it seems. That's what I'm hearing from a lot of men. Anyway. That. Yeah, it's that interesting. interesting. It is, isn't I, it? I, that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like like in the massage therapy business. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people are like, uh, I, I want a woman to massage me, whether they're uh, the, whether the client is a woman or a man. Exactly. Yeah. So so it's a similar thing. That is a, a interesting dynamic worth worth exploring. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you talk about in the book, it's actually on the cover, is a, a phrase that I, I am so intrigued with compassion fatigue mm. your book talks about combating compassion fatigue what is it and how do you combat it yeah so compassion fatigue can be different things for different people but when i think about pet business owners it can be a pet who they've really loved and worked with for a number of years dying you know dealing with death kind of over and over and over that can lead to compassion fatigue. Um, pet sitting and dog walking um, is a very caretaking position. You know, you're taking care of pets and homes. And so with that comes this beautiful open heart, usually, from most mm -hmm. pet sitters and dog walkers. And so with that can come a lack of boundaries. You know, I'm just taking care of everybody, but at the expense of yourself. And so that can be a form of compassion fatigue. Where that phrase, I believe, originated is um, there was a veterinarian who sadly committed suicide 
a number of years ago and she had been talking about how she I don't know if she used the term compassion fatigue but she mentioned you know she had so much care and concern for her clients mm-hmm. and her family and friends suspected that that was the cause of her death was you know suicide because she cared so deeply and you know lost a number of clients and was so stressed out all the time too so you know her work was her life and we often hear that that veterinarians have one of the highest suicide rates of any mm-hmm. profession and i guess it is attributed to 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 this compassion fatigue mm-hmm. do you does it ever get that bad in the pet sitting uh, world? Yes, I would say it does. Um, it gets bad on a lot of levels because, again, they're dealing with pets. They have these relationships with pets, mm-hmm. you know, over the years or even for a year. And the pets die. Um, maybe the clients move away and they've gotten attached. You know, that can really hurt the heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, clients can get demanding, especially if the pet sitter dog walker isn't setting boundaries. You know, the client can then be running the show instead of the business owner. And so that can lead to going above and beyond and not getting paid for that time and energy and then feeling resentful, but continuing to do it anyway. So it creates a vicious cycle. And eventually can cause them to want to either walk away from the business or sell it, thinking that the business is causing it, but actually they're the ones who are the reason why it's not working, because they're not setting boundaries. I want you to whip out your crystal ball now, because I'm sure you have one, right? Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and look into the future and tell me what you see as the future for the pet business, the types of people who read this book, who mm-hmm. provide the services for, well, on Dog Podcast Network, for dog lovers yeah. all over. Well, I think it's only going to get bigger and the services are only going to be, you know, more in demand given, you know, if the pandemic is any indication. So many people got pandemic puppies, right? Cats, other kinds of animals. So all of a sudden we've got people who have never, perhaps never had a pet before. And now they have a pet and they don't know what to do with it. Or, you know, they were working from home and now they're working in an office and their pet is used to them being at home. And so they're going to really need your listeners, right? Those of you listening. So I think there's a huge need for it. A lot of people look at, oh my gosh, there's so much competition out there. The more you can really look at your own business and just be the best business owner that you can be, the more powerful your business will be. You know, um, I like to actually put blinders on, you know, when I'm really focused on my business, because I think when I'm looking out there and looking at other people's businesses, that energy is not on my own. And so to keep bringing it back to your own business, and if you provide a really valuable service and are providing a service, you know, to the best of your ability, you will likely have more clients than you even know what to do with. It may not happen overnight. In fact, it probably won't. 
but over time you know the snowball effect will happen in that those clients that you're caring for in the best possible way will tell their friends and family they'll tell their friends and family you know yes social media marketing is really powerful these days um, but what can be even more powerful is word of mouth because people really listen to their friends and family when they're referring someone or a we service. Know that here, we know that here at Dog Podcast Network. I mean, social media is fine, but the, the most powerful thing is a recommendation when mm-hmm. you tell someone in the dog park, oh, I heard this great show. Yes, um, exactly. So word of mouth is, is old-fashioned, but it's still oh, the best. It really is. It's um, potent. So, you know, the clients that you have, I'm speaking to your listeners now who have pet businesses, the clients that you have are gold. You know, if they, if you can remind them to let their friends and family know, and you may need to do that periodically, they may not do that on their own, but if you can remind them to do that and they do it, you will have more clients than you know what to do with, really. So as you, while you have the uh, crystal ball out, why don't you look into it once more and tell, tell me what, what do you see? What's next for you? Oh, well, I am actually working on two books that are for all kinds of business owners, not pet business owners. So that is what I'm currently working on. Um, I'm also going to be creating a couple more online courses. I have a course that I just created a few months ago go called how to start and grow your pet sitting and dog walking business in seven days so that's an online course that takes people through you know start to finish of actually creating a business um yeah that's that's what i have on my plate i'm really that's excited awesome. well, about you are it a heck of a writer all the details on those courses and your and those books are on your website which is six figure pet business academy Dot com. Spelled out S I X. That's right. Academy. Six Figure Pet Business Academy. Kristen Morrison, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Kristen Morrison is a seasoned veteran when it comes to the pet business. So if you are just starting out in the industry, have a look at her Six Figure Pet Business Academy. We'll have a link in our show notes. And if you like what you heard and you'd like more dog-related stories and conversations like this one, check out the rest of the Long Leash episodes in your podcast feed or at our website, longleashshow.com. Are you already a regular listener? Well, no problem. We have a lot of other shows on Dog Podcast Network, like Dog Edition and Dog Cancer Answers and new shows that are joining our network this summer. They're all made by dog lovers, for dog lovers, and if you have anyone in mind that you'd like to hear on this show, or even just some feedback for us, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We would love to hear what you think. You can find us at our website, www.longleashshow.com, as well as on all the social media channels. And if you happen to stop by the site, go ahead and click the little blue microphone icon, which is located at the bottom right of every page, and you can leave us a voicemail. We're available on all the podcast apps as well as YouTube, so please make sure that you follow us so that you don't miss a thing. And one last word, we'd love it if you tell your friend or maybe a friend or two or maybe three friends about us at The Long Leash and at Dog Podcast Network. 
We want to grow our network alongside of our dog-loving listeners and deliver the best content that we can. That is it for today's show. I want to thank Kristen Morrison for joining us. I'm James Jacobson, and on behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, we wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Aloha.